Well, this morning, church family, we have come to the end of our study of the book of 2 Timothy and to some of the final words that the Apostle Paul ever wrote to the early church and to us by God's providence. You see, his death would soon follow the completion of this letter. And as we read these final parting words, it may seem like this last section of Paul's letter is not as significant as the previous ones. A lot of the, the nature of his writing here is personal, and it may not feel as weighty doctrinally as important as some of the other things that we have discussed. But I want to remind us of something we've already learned in our study of 2 Timothy. That every word of scripture is inspired. Every word of the Bible is useful for teaching, preaching, all of the, the ministry of the word. Even these final words, there is a blessing from them, from God for us. In fact, I would say as I was reading through and praying through our text for this week, personally, I found the most encouragement from these words that I found throughout my whole study of the book of 2 Timothy. Because at the end of Paul's life and at the end of this letter, it seems like Paul is making a statement to us about what ultimately matters. He's reminding us of the importance of not only of our heavenly relationship with God and Christ, but also our relationships with one another. You see, relationships matter in the kingdom of God. Marriage, parenting, family, church, neighbor, they all matter. But it seems like one in particular is being brought to the front of Paul's mind at the end of his life, and that is the relationship of friendship. Friendship. You see, throughout these personal details that we'll read at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul offers a meaningful, God-honoring call to friendship that I hope that we will receive as the people of God. And here's kind of the main point of what I believe Paul is communicating to us through these words and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be godly friends who stand by one another, and strengthen one another for the sake of gospel advancement. We're called to be godly friends who stand by one another and strengthen one another for the sake of gospel advancement. As we will see today in our text, we are to strive to be in the power of the Spirit, the kind of friend to one another that Jesus was to Paul, and that Jesus remains, remains to be for us. 2 Timothy 4, we're going to read verses 9 to 22. Here's what the Word of God says. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at, at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first events, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord... 
He stood by me and he strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisha and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you. Grace be with you. There are so many people mentioned at the end of Paul's letter here. So many relationships, both good and bad, that Paul is thinking about. And through them, Paul is teaching Timothy and by God's grace about the importance of all of these relationships. And so here's how I kind of want to summarize our journey through this last section of Paul's letter. I want to look at five relational realities of gospel ministry. Five relational realities of gospel ministry that we would do well to be mindful of as we seek to serve Christ together. First, the first relational reality. Gospel ministry is essentially relational. It is essentially relational, foundationally relational. Gospel ministry is built, built upon and furthered by human relationships as is evidenced by the whole of this passage. And this is on purpose. It's by God's good design because God himself is a relational God who exists in perfect community. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Spirit so love one another and are so connected to one another that they are one. One. God is a relational God. And he created us in his image, in community, to live in relationship as well. Both with him as our creator and with one another. Now it is true that sin has affected our ability both to relate to God and to other human beings. But the gospel is intended to correct this. Because the gospel declares God's work in Christ to reconcile us first to God and then to one another. Paul talks about this in another letter that he wrote. The letter, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 verses 11 to 22. And if you're familiar with this book, Paul has just got, uh, just finished glorying in the salvation of Christ. As he declares a very famous verse, by grace, you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses, but God in Christ Jesus has made us alive. And as he finishes declaring the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he then gives in these later verses a more full expression of the relational effect that the, the reconciling work of Christ is meant to have in our lives. And he in particular uses the fracture relationship between Jews and Gentiles to prove a larger point about the, the kind of people, the new people of God that he is forming for himself in Jesus. Let me read for you these verses, Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember, therefore is always there for a purpose, right? It's building upon this idea that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, 
in our trespasses, raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. By his grace, we have been saved. Therefore, because of all of that, the work of Christ and the gospel, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the, that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, praise be to God, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In this passage, Paul expresses that our broken relationship with God has led to broken relationships with one another. And in the case of Jews and Gentiles in particular, the law actually furthered that divide. But Christ has come to offer peace. Christ has come to offer set rightness, relational set rightness with God that is meant to lead to relational set rightness with one another. The things that would divide have been broken down because of the unity, the oneness that we are to experience in Christ. And what is incredible to me, what's even more incredible to me than just the fact that Christ would do this for us, that God would give us this gift in Christ, is that the very nature of the gospel ministry the way we minister the gospel is meant to be a witness of this reconciliatory intent. Because how does the gospel advance? How does the gospel move forward from, from one place to the nations? It moves forward through human interaction. It moves forward through conversation and relationship. Through relationship, the gospel moves across dividing walls of hostility and the power of the spirit leading to reconciliation, both with God and one another. That was certainly true in Paul's life, right? As a Jew, he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he went to places further out in gospel need. And he allowed the gospel and his declaration of the gospel to cross these normal barriers, these walls of hostility to find reconciliation in God, in Christ and with one another so that we collectively could become the people of God, the church. You see, we must overcome the fear of man. We must overcome the fear of rejection. We must overcome any innate prejudice that may exist in our hearts 
to see someone as God sees them and to share with them how God has loved them and Christ because of how God has first loved us. Gospel ministry is essentially relational because the act of gospel ministry, the act of declaring the gospel evangelism is meant to, in, to declare the intent of that gospel ministry, reconciliation, both with God and with each other. Now, here's a, a beautiful consequence of this. Sometimes these relationships, this, this reconciliation is used by God for even larger gospel purposes. This is the second relational reality we see in the text. Sometimes these relationships become partnerships for the sake of the gospel. And this is necessary. Gospel partnership is functionally necessary because of the scope of the work that God has given to us as his people. Yes, it is true. Relationships are essential to gospel ministry because of the nature of gospel ministry, proclaiming reconciliation through the Son. But relationships are also essential because the work is simply too big for any one of us to do it on our own. And any one collection of people at one church to do on our own. The whole of the world was affected by the fall. The whole of creation has been affected by sin and the curse. And every people, every person from every nation, every tribe, every tongue needs to know what God has offered them in Christ. You see, friends, we need each other to accomplish the Great Commission. All the people mentioned in these parting words are people that partnered with Paul at one time or another for the sake of the gospel on his missionary journeys. You can go read about it in the book of Acts. Priscilla, Prissa for short here in our text today, and Aquila are two of the most famous gospel partners of Paul. And they're mentioned in verse 19 alongside the household of Anesiphorus. Paul first meets Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, where they had moved from Rome. The emperor at the time had, had cast out all the Jews from Rome, and they ended up in Corinth. And in Acts 18, they meet Paul, and they work together as tent makers. And then later, they begin to work together as disciple makers. They accompanied Paul to Ephesus, where they stayed for a significant period of time. At some point, they go to Rome and it seems like now they are back in Ephesus where Timothy is. And Esophorus is another one mentioned here. He was already mentioned earlier in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And he served alongside Paul. And as you may remember, sought out Paul in prison in Rome to be an encouragement to him. Demas was also apparently one time, at one time, a gospel partner. Demas is mentioned both in the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon alongside Luke and other, other faithful brothers to Paul in the ministry serving Christ. Crescens, Titus, Tychicus are also partners and they were likely sent out by Paul even while he was in prison for gospel work because even though he was confined, the, the work of, God, of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel had to continue. Crescens was sent to Galatia, while Tychicus was sent to Ephesus. 
Likely taking the the letter to Timothy that we are reading right now and then also serving as Timothy's replacement there in Ephesus while Timothy came to visit Paul. Titus, of course, had done ministry in Crete. We have his pastoral letter that Paul sent to him, but now he's being sent to a new task in Dalmatia, probably to confront that Cruella de Vil lady. I'm just kidding. It's a different Dalmatia. Just making sure you're listening. Luke is also a well-known figure in the world of the New Testament. Beyond writing a gospel, he kind of served as a biographer of Paul's life in writing the book of Acts. It's also probable that, that Luke is helping Paul to write this letter and other letters while he is in his confinement. Mark, also known as John Mark, we talked about him, was a ministry partner with Paul and Barnabas for a period of time and then left them. And Paul was so concerned about that abandonment that when Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark back on another missionary journey, Paul said, I can't trust him. I'm not ready to bring him out. And Paul and Barnabas separated over John Mark. But it seems like later in his life, there's been reconciliation. And now Mark is an encouragement to Paul. Carpus seems to be a very trusted friend. How do we know that? Because Paul left his books and the scrolls with Carpus. And if you know anything about a pastor or missionary, our books matter a whole lot. And so this was a trusted friend. And as Pastor Aaron said earlier this week, missionaries need friends who can keep their stuff when they go on the mission field. And this is a guy who did that. That's how he ministered to Paul. Even Alexander, it seems, was at one point faithful to the ministry that Paul was engaged in. And then there are, of course, other partners that we don't know much about, Mentioned in verses 20 and 21, Erastus, Trophimus, Miletus, Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, and Claudia. Not Miletus, that's a place. But the other ones mentioned here. Obviously, what Paul is showing us is that everywhere he went, everywhere he went, he sought people out to both believe in Christ and also to serve the gospel alongside him. That was true in his relationship with Timothy. That's, that's why this letter exists. That's why the relationship between Paul and Timothy exists. And with all those mentioned here, for the gospel to go forth to the nations and to go forward to every generation until Christ returns, Paul knew that he needed more than himself. And he knew this because he followed the example of Christ, who in his earthly ministry also developed key relationships to encourage him, to walk alongside him, but also to multiply, to extend his ministry beyond his time upon this earth. Remember in Mark 6, Jesus has called the 12 to himself. And while he's here, he sends them out to begin testing out their ministry effectiveness. He sends them out two by two because we were made to do ministry in partnership. We must do ministry in partnership. It's key to the gospel. It's key to God's design of gospel ministry. And then there's a third benefit here. Sometimes these ministry relationships, sometimes these gospel partnerships move even deeper and they turn to friendship. Here's the third relational reality that we learn from Paul's writing here. Godly friendship is uniquely refreshing. Godly friendship is a gift of God's grace. And it is uniquely refreshing as we serve the Lord. God has given us an enormously good gift 
and friends. Now listen, all of us in Christ should be friendly to one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously. But it is true and obvious that some relationships just go deeper. That's true in Paul's life. For many of the people that Paul mentions here, the relationships weren't simply functional. Not just for the sake of gospel partnership, for the advancement of the gospel. It seems there's something deeply personal here for Paul. There was a significance in the relationship that Paul is thinking about at the end of his life. Because God uses these people to strengthen him and encourage him even in this moment when he is facing death head on. There are some who seem to engender a greater emotional response. Priscilla and Aquila are clear examples of this. Paul uses a nickname, a nickname to speak about her there in verse 19. There's a familiarity there. That, that brings joy to Paul in his last moments upon this earth. Certainly Timothy. Paul desires to see Timothy in a way that moves beyond a normal relationship. There's an urgency here when he says to Timothy, do your best, verse 9, to come to me soon. Try to come before winter, he says in verse 21. And then Timothy obviously thought about his relationship with Paul in a significant way. He was willing to come after him. He was willing to, to come and travel. And listen, travel at this time wasn't easy. You could just hop in a car or get in an airplane. There was significant risk in going to visit someone as far away as Paul is in Rome. Again, this, this statement in verse 21, come to me before winter, is probably said because there's a time during the year when you could not travel on the Mediterranean because the waters were too rough. And so this journey will, be a, will, will have a cost for Timothy that he's willing to endure. And beyond even the difficulties of travel, he's got to bring the books. He's got to bring the scrolls. This is how much Timothy loved Paul. My wife said when we moved, Jared, I will pack, help you pack everything in our house, in your office. But the one thing I will not touch are your books. Because they're too heavy. It's ridiculous that you have so many. So... My wife loves me. This is how much Timothy loves Paul. He's willing to engage the books <laughs> and bring them over water and land. Mules, horseback. That's deep friendship. And then let's also mention Anesiphorus. You know, it's interesting here that in verse 19 of 2 Timothy 4, that Paul writes and greets the household of Anesiphorus and not Onesiphorus. Himself. Now, it's possible that Onesiphorus is still in Rome, but here's what's more likely, that Onesiphorus has died. He's died. And we, we can draw this conclusion from how he is talked about in the first time Paul mentions Onesiphorus in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You may remember this. This is verses 16 to 18. Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Again, talking about the household, not himself. And then listen to all the past tense that he uses to speak of Anesiphorus. For he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. You well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Now it is true that Anesiphorus came and found Paul. He traveled and found Paul in this prison. But it's possible and likely 
that somewhere along that way, in ministering to Paul, he lost his life. He was willing to put his life on the line to come and minister to Paul. Now, friends, that is true friendship. Godly friendship is essential, essential to staying the course and remaining faithful to Christ. You need to know that people are with you. You need to know that someone is with you. We need deep personal encouragement that can come from from someone, only from someone who truly knows us. Not the facade, not the, the mask we put on when we come into social settings, but someone who actually knows who we are and is still there, who encourages us in those deep moments of need. We need to see a mutuality in the gospel that calls us to sacrifice, that calls us to live out the the one another's of scripture. A relationship that reinforces the gospel in our lives and pictures for us what Christ has done and is still doing in a way that brings us joy. At least most of the time. Because a fourth relational reality that Paul brings our attention to here is that all friendship is somewhat risky. We need friendships deeply. We need meaningful relationships. But you know, any relationship between broken, fallen, sinful people has risk attached to it. Sometimes Paul's ministry relationships, even his his friendships, have led to deep emotional wounds that are clearly present in his writing here. Sometimes, Timothy, people you thought were your friends will betray you. It's what happens here with Demas and Alexander. Demas seems to have abandoned Paul because of his hardship and the fear that what has happened to Paul may actually happen to him. Again, Demas was counted alongside the likes of Luke, and yet he deserted Paul. He abandoned Paul to go back to Thessalonica. Because, as Paul said, he loved this present world more than he loved Christ's appearing. Alexander brought about maybe an even deeper betrayal because it seems like he had a hand in Paul's arrest. Alexander is is Paul's Judas. He's likely the same Alexander that was removed from the church alongside Hymenaeus. They're mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So here Paul is is giving Timothy a, a sober reminder of the risk of friendship. People you have loved, people who have worked with you, that you have worked with, can abandon you. Friends that you love deeply can turn against you and that wounds deeply. Even faithful friends can let you down on occasion. Remember John Mark again? That one that Paul and Barnabas separated over? Paul didn't trust him. And yet, at the end of his life, there seems to be a renewed confidence in Mark. Before a season, their friendship was threatened by the the lack of trust that Paul had in John Mark for abandoning them. And even Luke. Luke, who is still with Paul and helping him write this letter. It seems that Luke was unable to stand with Paul at his first first events in verse 16 because Paul says that he was utterly alone, that everyone abandoned him. Now, none of this means 
that we shouldn't pursue friendship. It just means that we need to be prepared and reminded that the only relationship that we can count on at all times and the relationship that we must allow every other relationship to be viewed within is the relationship that we have with Christ. Because the final relational reality that Paul mentions here is that Jesus is the friend who is always, always, always faithful. What a friend we have in Jesus. He is always faithful. There is one friend who never betrayed Paul, who did not fail to show up for Paul in his time of need. There is one friend who will never fail any of us, and his name is Jesus Christ. Paul writes in verse 17 that when no one else stood by him, Jesus stood by him. And Jesus strengthened Paul in order to continue to do what God called him to do, and that is to proclaim the gospel so that the Gentiles could hear. The reality is that none of our earthly friends are perfect. And when they fail, we must rest in the ultimate friendship that we have in Jesus. He is the only one who can always stand by us and, and strengthen us to be faithful in gospel ministry. And remember, friends, he is also the one who will bring ultimate rescue. There's no friend that can deliver you fully out of the brokenness, the weariness of this world. The only one who can do that is Christ. And so Paul says in verse 17 and 18 that it was Jesus who delivered him in that trial, rescued him out of the mouth of a lion for a moment. But even though he knows he's about to give his life, it is also this Jesus who will bring about ultimate rescue when he comes to take him home to the kingdom that he has prepared. What a picture. What a picture that, that Paul paints here for us of encouragement about the friendship of Christ and what a, what, a, what a challenge for us as we seek to be friends to one another as Jesus has been a friend to us. Now let's consider the effect of these parting words on us today. How, how do these relational realities, how should these relational realities affect our approach our, our thought as a people in regards to gospel ministry. Let me just offer for you five lessons quickly in response to these relational realities that Paul has defined for us at the end of his life and at the end of this book. Firstly, the first lesson. Let's remember, church family, that God has designed us to live in relationship. We were designed to be in relationship. It is essential. It is core to who we are because we were designed in the image of God. As he lives in perfect relationship, we are to live in relationship with him and with one another. Relationship is at the heart of the gospel, and you need to know that. It's essential to the, the reason why Christ came. He came because we in our sin were separated from a holy and righteous God. And there was nothing we could do to bring about reconciliation. There was nothing we could do to work our way back into right standing with God. But Jesus, who was far off, came near to us so that we could be brought near by his sacrifice. And that is an enormous gift. Something we should celebrate now and for all of eternity. Because, friends, we would still be far off for all of eternity if not for the work of Christ. That's the gospel. So here's the question you got to ask yourself this morning. Have you been brought near to God in Christ? 
Have you ever repented and believed, uh, have you ever repented of your sin and believed in Christ so that what separates you from God is covered by the sacrifice of the Son so that you can be in right relationship with God, both now and for all of eternity? Because while Jesus desires to be your friend, he is also your judge. And as we saw last week, if you are not covered by the blood, you will be cast out of the kingdom. If you don't know him today, would you, would you hear his call through the word and the power of the spirit to receive him as Savior and Lord, to receive him as friend? Because you were, you were created, designed to walk in relationship with Almighty God, and you can. You can know the Father through the Son. Would you do that today? That's the most important relationship question you will ever be asked in your life. And as a consequence of that, if we are in Christ, the reconciliation that we have with God should lead to reconciliation with one another. We're called to be a part of a people, a people on purpose, who partner with other like-minded people to take the gospel to the nations. Let me ask you this. Are you living in reconciliation with the community of faith? You are called out of something. You are also called to something. And the to something is essentially connected to the church. Are you a part of a local church? Are you a member of, of this church or another body of believers, faithful believers who are seeking to live life together? You are designed to live in community, not isolation. To live in isolation is to put yourself right in the target of the enemy. He wants you to remain isolated. He doesn't want you to be strengthened and encouraged by the people of God and the ministry of the word that comes through the people of God. So jump in, get connected with meaningful, gospel-centered, spiritual relationships in the local church. Are you living in reconciliation and are you engaging with others for the sake of gospel purpose? Because that's the way the Lord redeems all of our relationships. Even marriage is meant to be a declaration of the gospel. Are we living with that kind of intentionality in every relationship because of the gift they are and the way that God desires to redeem them for his glory? Secondly, God has called us to strategically partner for gospel advancement. Even outside of this church, we are to look strategically for like-minded brothers and sisters, like-minded churches and fellowships that we can join with for the sake of of gospel advancement. That's why I'm, I'm still honored to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Even as our warts occasionally are on display in the national media, even for all of our shortcomings, I'm grateful to be a part of a people who still has as their ultimate goal, their ultimate desire, gospel advancement. That's why we join together. That's why we cooperate to send missionaries to the ends of the earth, to plant churches where the gospel is underrepresented. And it is good for us to partner with that in mind and to remember ultimately why it is that we partner and not get lost in some of this other stuff. That's good. It's good for us to be connected to the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina because there are wonderful churches in our state who seek to reach our state with the gospel. That's why it's also good for us to partner with local churches. Friends, 
There was a time in Raleigh where there weren't many faithful churches. That's not the case today. There are so many gospel-centered, Bible-believing, faithful churches in our area that we can partner with, and we have. Faith Baptist in Youngsville, Imago Dei, uh, Open Door, Providence, wonderful, wonderful church churches. And hear me, they are not our enemies. They are not our competition. They are our partners. They are our brothers and sisters in the task of reaching this growing area with the gospel. And we should seek to join together as much as we can to let as many people know as possible what God has done for them in Christ. Thirdly, God calls us to refreshing friendship. Refreshing friendship. Sometimes these conversations that we have for the sake of the gospel, and sometimes these partnerships, both in the local church and connecting to other local churches, take on even deeper meaning. And they turn, by God's grace, to friendship. And what a gift, again, friendship is. Can we just take a moment? And give thanks for good friends. I hope the Lord's bringing you someone to mind. Someone, you know, when you fell flat on your face, you made a fool of yourself. Everybody else maybe turned their back. So they didn't want to be associated with you for a little bit. Unfollowed you on social media. But there's one, two men, women who will always stand by you. And they will always have your back. They will always tell you the truth. They will always encourage you in your moments of need. Do you realize that those friends are a gift from God? They're a gift. An earthly evidence of God's grace. And you need these kind of friends. We need these kind of friends. And I'll just encourage you this morning. If you say, Jared, I don't know that I have this kind of friend. Would you begin even praying now that God would bring you a, a relationship like that? Because I believe that because it's part of God's design, and it's a good thing that he desires for you, he will, he will answer that prayer. Hopefully, from within the walls of this church. Which makes me want to ask a question. Are, are we the kind of church where friendships can develop? We were talking about this passage earlier this week in our sermon preparation meeting with a lot of our pastors who were there. And Pastor Jeff asked a good question as we were talking about the text. He had asked his staff earlier in the week, he said, you know, you can come to Bayleaf and you can find really faithful teachers of the Bible. You can come to Bayleaf, you can find great servants and places to serve. But here's the question he asked, is Bayleaf the kind of place where you can come and find a friend? I pray the answer is yes. It's certainly been true in our experience coming here two years ago. We've been so blessed by the friendliness of our church. I hope that's true of you as well. But church, we got to make sure that we have that mindset in place. That when someone new comes, when someone, when the Lord brings us someone, we can't let our old friendships, our old relationships rob us of the opportunity of ministering to someone new. Let's make sure we have that awareness. Let's make sure we have that, that gospel mindset, spiritual eyes, looking for people that we can make connection with for the sake of gospel advancement, yes, but who knows? Who knows what kind of gift that, that relationship could have in your life 
ultimately. Listen, all of us, again, should be friendly, but not all of us can be best friends. But some of us can, and that's a good thing, that we should seek for the glory of God. Fourthly, because there's risk in any relationship, when sin enters into a friendship, let's forgive the failures of our friends. God calls us to forgive. How many times, Jesus? Seven times? How about 70 times seven? How about more than you can imagine? True friendship allows the gospel to be on display, even, especially in moments of failure. When do we need to see the gospel on display the most? When we need it, right? When we need the grace of God to be shown to us. When we need forgiveness to be extended. In any friendship, one friend sooner or later will let the other one down, right? We just will. We're imperfect. We'll mess up. Here's the question. How do we handle that failure? So let me just encourage you this morning. If there is an iciness in a relationship, a brokenness that you're feeling the wound of even now, if restoration is possible, seek it. Paul did with John Mark. And at the end of his life, Mark was an encouragement to Paul. Who knows what encouragement you may be missing out on because you're holding on to a grudge. Offer forgiveness. But if restoration is not possible, and sometimes it's not, would you still extend forgiveness? Life is too short to hold a grudge, and unforgiveness does not look like Jesus. You may not be able to walk closely with them, but you don't have to hold bitterness in your heart toward them either. Finally, final lesson that we should rejoice in this morning, friends, God has given us the ultimate friend in Christ. And that truth is what allows us to forgive and hold all of our other relationships, all of our other friendships in right perspective. Jesus is our ultimate friend. He was willing to be called a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? It was meant to be a derogatory thing. Oh, that Jesus if he's from God, if he's so holy, how come he hangs out with sinners? Well, friends, I'm a sinner. And I'm certainly glad he was willing to be counted with me or allow me to be counted with him. Let us rejoice in this truth that he has brought us near. He has called us friend as we, uh, friends, as we heard read earlier in scripture to reconcile us to himself, to reconcile us to God and to one another. And it is the same Jesus who will ultimately bring about our great rescue. He will strengthen us here and he will take us home. And that's why he is our greatest friend. We should rejoice in that church. In the face of any hardship, in the face of any failure, at the end of our life, when we're considering the scope of eternity, would you rest in the truth that Jesus is our friend? What a gift friendship is. What an even greater gift that Jesus is our friend. Wherever you are, do you bow your heads and just consider how you can respond to the preached word this morning. Do you have a friend in Jesus? Have you been brought near?
to the Father through the Son because there was a time after hearing the Gospel proclaimed that you repented of your sin and believed in Christ for salvation. That's the most important relationship that must be redeemed, must be reconciled. And if you're not sure or you feel the Lord leading you to do that today, in just a minute, we'll have some pastors, ministers here in the front. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you if you need that today. And for those of us who are in Christ, reconciled to God, are we living in reconciliation to one another? Are you living in gospel community? Are you a part of a church? Are you a part of a small group? Are you walking together as God intended? And are you a good friend? Do you have good friends you can thank God for today? Are you a good friend to them? Is there any, anything that needs to be repented of or forgiven? Because you need them. But they can only do so much. And that's why our ultimate hope must be in our ultimate friend, Christ. So Father, we rejoice in these things. We rejoice that while we were enemies of, of God, you have made us a friend in Christ. Help us to be the kind of friends that we see Jesus being to Paul into us, to one another. For our mutual benefit and as a reminder of the great friend we have in Christ. Help us respond in a way that brings you glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.